now. Okay. Good morning, traders and investors. It's Monday on Pre-Market Prep. It's also the final quad witch of the year week. We'll talk about that. Talk about Macy's going private. Spotify still moving higher. Big deal canceled. We got a lot to cover this week. CPI, PPI, Fed decision on Wednesday. Let's get it going. Pre-Market Prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, as mentioned, folks, this is a quad witch expiration week. So we are looking at the March, yes, March 2024 contract in the red by three and a half handles. Uh, matched Friday's high, just a, a small sell-off. We'll see if that continues in the regular session. Uh, the buck still above 104, up eight cents at 104.06. Bonds peeling back more, down a half a point, 118 and 17.30 seconds. Crude. Above 70, but down 11 cents on the session in 71.12. Gold, whoo, that move in gold last week. Down 480, 2009.70. Silver looking in the lower 23 handle, down 4 cents at 23.23. And Bitcoin getting a little haircut this morning. Down $2,365 at 42545 Let's bring in this stranger here, Triple D, his first week off since the pandemic. Welcome back, Dennis. Yeah, three years since I've taken a week off the markets, and I kind of feel lost this morning. I've been in for two hours here just looking at the markets, trying to get a feel again. I mean, what do you do when you go on vacation? You come back. The first thing you got to do is inform yourself. You don't just come in and start making trades. You got to figure out everything looking at charts looking at what's happened since i've been gone trying to get back into the groove even without making a trade off the hop and then obviously start trading and start getting your feel back but that's what you've got to do the number one thing when you come back from a hiatus from the markets get yourself informed open your benzinga pro see what's going on get that aaron brie guy on here because he's going to talk to me about what's going on aaron are you in the background here mitch is off for a couple days yes sir hanging out Happy Monday, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Joel and Dennis. Good to be here. All right, uh, Dennis, tell us yeah. about your trip. Let's boots on the ground. That's what yeah. this show is about, boots on the ground. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was there and um, got, I, I, was, I was three days, well, really four days at Disney. And then I was a few days at my father-in-law's, which is in St. Pete's. Overall, I would say Florida felt busy. Like it felt like busy everywhere. You know, I drove and saw you across the country there, Joel, over <laughs> Obviously, uh, Boynton Beach, it felt busy everywhere. So I didn't feel like a recession is on the table here anywhere, um, you know, at least not in Florida. But what it did feel like is like Disney felt quiet, quieter than normal. I've been to Disney quite a few times. Last time I was there was five years ago. Um, this was a lot less busy than it was five years ago. I will say that the parks were less busy. The resort was a ghost town. 
but I went during the week. So it might have been a seasonally slow week. I was asking people and they're like, well, yeah, usually this week's a little bit slower. Usually it picks up next week ahead of, you know, the Christmas holidays. Because like at one point in time in the pool, and it's a big pool, probably holds 200 people. There was nobody except me and the two kids. This is on our resort. We'd stayed at Coronado Springs. Beautiful resort. Disney does everything up really well. Customer service, unbelievable. So the experience was fantastic. And I loved, you know, that it wasn't busy. Um, Just concerning if you're looking at buying the stock, thinking, yeah, this is the place to be. Because even the parks and, you know, and and Aaron, I I just posted a pic in, in, in the background. But we were walking. I did the Genie Pass just to skip the lines and a few. But in a lot of the of situations, there you know, certain rides you needed it for, but a lot of rides were walk-on. Like Space Mountain, which I got a pick there if you want to show me and the kids. Um, Space Mountain was walk-on all day, like 10-minute wait all day. There were yeah. certain rides that were just like 10-minute wait. And when I was there five years ago, Space Mountain was like minimum like 45-minute wait. So you could feel the park was, it was still busy, still people there, definitely not nobody there. But it felt a little less busy than it did when I was there five. It's years. a school week, Dennis, too. I mean, you know, people. It, it, are going- oh, for sure. We, we and we, I intentionally went, you know, during the week because I thought it would be a little bit slower. So I'm sure it picks up on the weekends. When we were leaving on Friday, it already felt like it was starting to pick up a little bit there. So I'm sure, you know, it was like I picked during the week. It was seasonal. But I tell you, you know, it's somewhat, you know, of an eye opener when you're not waiting 30 minutes for every ride, when you're walking on Pirates of the Caribbean and then you walk back on Pirates of the Caribbean for another go, um, you know, right away. So it definitely was a little bit quieter than normal. That's what I would say. What that means, you know, for the next earnings report, who knows? But I would say they're not killing it by any means, Disney, right now. Uh, just a quick parks. look at the technicals on it. Uh Kind of a, a quiet week last week. I, I would just look at where it was the market's down. You know how I, I'm market centric. I would just keep an eye on the uh, the pair of highs from Thursday and Friday. Uh, looking at, uh, let me get my data window up here. Two highs, 93.39, 93.54. A little bit of a roadblock there. Uh, good support at 90 bucks for. And Dennis, I, you know, you may have to come and watch the. Uh, semifinal national championship game with me based on the fact that you were there with me when we won the big 10 championships. So, yeah. Yeah. And I had a great time, obviously, you know, we met up with a four, couple former bright traders. It was like a little bright trading reunion there in Boynton beach. So fantastic time seeing you down there too, Joel. The weather was excellent. So oh, yeah. enough about the trips though. Let's get me informed. Bring me back in the loop. Okay. It was out. a weird week. Let me yeah. talk about the week. We, we, we did one of these, like, we're not going any lower tricks. Uh, the S- the spy doesn't uh, illustrate it as well, but it just had all the lows in the same area here on the daily chart. It was 40, 45.50, but basis the uh, March contract, it was 4,600. And then on Friday, you know, jobs data, you know, oh, unemployment went down. That's a good thing, baby, because you can't break this economy. You can't send it into a recession. So we chopped around the whole week, and then they a quick dip off the unemployment number, and then they just came in buying. We made a new high for the move, yeah. a new closing high. So it was really like one day it was a small caps leading, the next day was mega cap tech. You know, they kind of switched back and forth, but in the end, everyone was happy on Friday, and we made a new closing high for the move. So it was it was choppy, and it was rage bound. But Friday, it finally caught a nice bit and had some follow through to the upside. So that that's pretty up. Uh, Aaron, you got any uh, 
general market comments from last week? No, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway was on on Friday when that jobs number came in better than expected and stocks actually rallied, showing that, OK, hey, we might be in a in a in a, in a time now where good news is good news again. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important because I think right now people are expecting or, or looking for maybe some sort of slowdown in the labor market. But, hey, people have been saying that for the past like 18 months and unemployment has has continued to fall. So. Uh, until I see any signs that say either A, unemployment is going back up in a meaningful way, or B, inflation is going back up in a meaningful way, I don't see any reason really to be that scared or to be that bearish right now. Um, and so, again, we're going to get CPI data tomorrow. We're, yep. we're going to continue to get more economic data. And, and um, But, yeah, I mean, again, I think it's, I think it's good to see that, that good news is good news again and, and that we're not rooting for essentially – unemployment to go up so that means the fed can cut because at this point even if unemployment stays low as long as inflation stays where it's at or continues to fall then there is no reason the fed can't cut rates at some point next year there's no reason really to keep the uh, uh, future funds rates well above the inflation rate uh in my opinion so again i think that was my biggest takeaway from last week was just the fact that hey we got a good market reaction after good economic news which uh, hasn't really been the case over the last six months, but good to see. Yeah, and uh, uh, CPI Tuesday, uh, PPI Wednesday, wow, Fed on wild. Wednesday, in in blue, in blue Putnam on Wednesday. So uh, we're gonna get a look. We'll get a look at that inflation data. I think it's just important to like give perspective here too. That seasonality is 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 big time in play here. And that what that means is this is a historically very strong time for the markets. And, you know, people are excited about the markets, excited about the holidays. This is typically these couple weeks here. We're coming into, you know, Santa Claus rally comes later. But, I mean, we're coming into a very historically strong time. Seasonality playing a part here. It's why, you know, before I left, I was like, it's hard to be bearish coming into this December. Because, you know, it's been a historically strong month. Obviously, you know, you get towards the end and people want to own all those strong stocks. So I think you just continue to see that strength across the board here now. Um, and then, you know, you're seeing even some deals happening here. Maybe no deals in some cases like Humana and CI. But let's go to Macy's, which is actually getting a bid. And this came out of the blue. Yeah, so this this news came out over the weekend. An investor group uh, pitched a $5.8 billion bid for Macy's, which... Um, I, I mean, it, it just goes to show you, I mean, like people, people talked about Macy's and other of these big department stores as if they were zombie companies, as if they're dead, as if they have no value. Um, and then yet here, here you have this group coming in and offering five point nearly six billion dollars. I don't know what, uh, Joel, can you give me what the, the actual market cap is on Macy's right now based on the share price? I think wow. it's a twenty-one. I think the the, the yeah. bid would be for approximately twenty-one dollars. And if we look at the pre-market chart, <laughs> I don't know what the algos do. Like, why pay up to twenty-one? Why pay the whole thing? Do we think that there's another buyer lurking? Like, nope. we're not in Kansas anymore, where you know, you know, twenty twenty, where there's one buyer, there's another buyer, and there's another buyer, and they're just hungry for anything here. I don't think we're in that market. So very surprised that this was trading up over $21 here this morning. That was a gift, in my opinion. And it's obviously a gift because the stock is down over a dollar from those highs. Um, you know, could this deal go through? Maybe. Maybe there's going to be. But maybe they don't accept it. Maybe this leaks back down. I mean, here was a stock at the middle of November that hit $10. So now Ten you're bucks. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you're on this bid. I feel like this is more of a selling opportunity than a buying opportunity. I know, Aaron, there is some value here in Macy's. They have a lot of the real estate. Um, you know, we can talk about, you know, the dividend, which is, you know, it's been cut, but it's 3% still. I mean, so that, that, that's I, I, it's I hard to at. come in here and say, yeah, buy this at 2014 because you might get 21. I mean, I don't think Macy's is going to be the stock that drives the next bull market. I don't think Macy's, like, if we, we talk recession, we can talk expansion, and then we can just talk stocks that their good times are past them. These traditional retailers, these big box mega cap department stores, unless you're Dillard's because they just figured it out. I just feel like the, the better times are beyond these companies. I don't want these companies in my long-term portfolio. Although for the last month, Macy's has been an excellent investment in the last month. I mean, the most simple reason why you wouldn't be paying up to 21 is just like the time value of money, right? And that uh, too. It, yeah, yeah. But this is just a bid. This isn't like an accepted deal. I know. So maybe they think Macy's going to turn down and they're going to bid for more. But it's not like this is a hot commodity, you know, like this is some small tech company that everybody wants, you know, an AI story. This is a no story. So, I mean, this is a value. It's been a value trap. So I believe, you know, the last month rally is a gift. We got back almost the entire losses from 2023 here. And we started the year around 20 bucks. It went down and looked like it was going to breach 10. Now you've come back here in the last month. One thing is you're seeing a lot of stocks that are dogs. And Macy's is a dog. Just barking right now. People are hungry for stocks. They've missed the rally. They're looking for anything. And, you know, maybe the investors group is looking and thinking, well, there's a lot of value here in Macy's. But that real estate that everybody talked about in Macy's is worth a hell of a lot less than it was three years ago. Because all this commercial real estate, I don't know what they do with it, some of it. Like, I mean, the younger generation, Aaron, you know, let's talk to you, the younger generation. I mean, they just don't go out and you know, they're not afraid to buy stuff online. I mean, my wife buys her shoes online. I mean, I mean, she's not young, but I mean, there's just so many people like me and Joel still would go to a traditional store maybe to buy something, but the younger generation doesn't need these big department stores. Yeah. I mean, this time of year actually would be probably the only time I'd go to a physical Macy's or a mall to like Christmas yeah. shop. Cause it's easy Seasonality. to, yeah. Cause you can go and, and, and knock out everything. I can get stuff for everyone in my family at the mall instead of going online. But um, yeah, so this group, it, it's an investor group consisting of Arc House Management and Brigade Capital. So, you know, private and an, another sign that private equity is kind of heating up. But that's what I'm curious about, too, Dennis, is like, is it for the real estate itself? You think like does Macy's? I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you know. think of every all the shoes and all the Macy's around the country and all the clothes? Like, what do you what do you think that totals up to? There's no way it's five point eight billion. So I don't know what they're really buying here. It's not like the Macy's. They think the real estate's worth money. I think if we were in 1990, I think like Macy's that this valuation is attractive. I just think the world has changed. I think the younger generation has changed. And you know, to your point, seasonality plays into part here. Being long retailers into the Christmas season is always a good idea. Yeah. And you're immediately rewarded. Nice but this is like the reward. Stuff. Like nice you would feel like maybe Macy's is going to lift up into the Santa Claus rally and give you a 10% gain. You just got the 16% overnight. I mean, this feels like a ring the register opportunity. I agree. I wonder, I wonder too, if they maybe have some, this group investor group has some idea for what it can do with the real estate or something. That's I know my there's, question. There's been a yeah. lot of talks about big box, you know, retailers, uh, you know, becoming like places you can go return Amazon packages or like what the future is going to look like for these physical stores. So I wonder if maybe they have some vision about, okay, how can we take this into the next 
uh, generation and really make this more of a place that younger people can go. Because then it might make more sense, right? If you buy a company that has brand recognition, people know the name of it, and you can kind of revitalize it in a few ways. If they're just going to buy it and let Macy's run as Macy's has been running, then forget about it. Then I don't know what they're doing because, again, you're, you're buying something to me that's on the way down. Um, but hey, they might they might know something I don't, which again on a five point eight billion deal, I hope I hope they've done some some DD there. What about sympathy plays? Is this you think this is just a one off, Dennis? I'm looking at Target that said it's uh, post earnings high. Uh, yeah. Walmart br- is broken down now. I know no one's I mean, taking these aren't up. sympathies with Macy's whatsoever. There's three: the Coles, Macy's, and Nordstrom. So Target right. and Walmart are their own thing, and that we can talk retailers. It's a good you know idea to talk retailers, but. If you're trading Macy's, I have pair traded these stocks for decades. Macy's, Kohl's, Nordstrom. Those are the ones that go together. So immediately when you see a Macy's pop, you automatically assume Kohl's is going to be up. You automatically assume JWM is going to be up. And those are the two stocks that are directly correlated. Will it move the XRT today? It already is. XRT is up 1.2% here. So it is lifting here in the pre-market there. But I think Kohl's, I think Nordstrom, I also think these stocks are to get lifts. Maybe we get some seasonality that lists them into the end of the year. I think that'll just be a selling opportunity. All right, real quick, technicals. XRT is getting a lift. We'll just look at that spike high from last week, just above 68, uh, which comes in at 68.22. Haven't hit that yet in the pre-market. Kohl's is at the moment of truth here, folks. 25.74, 75. There's been three highs in that area. You did spike over 26, but opening up into a very important area for that. And uh, JWM, they've been floating this for a while. I mean, we've heard, how many times have you heard about uh, JWM Nordstrom going private? So uh, this one's sleepy. I don't know if I'd be buying these things. But I surely wouldn't be uh, shorting them. Uh, I would rather own the Nordstrom and the Coles here right now in the seasonality play because I feel like you just got the Macy's. But maybe they're like all of a sudden thinking, well, Coles, you know, is value there. And it was Coles was rumored for a long time to be getting bought. Original price tag was 60. So, I mean, this probably lifts Coles in the short term. I'm with you, Joel. I wouldn't want to be short these things right now. I don't think I want to be short any stocks right now, two weeks before or three weeks before the end of the year. We just have too much seasonality at play here. I mean, you know, again, you know, there's all going to be other factors. CPI could change the story to a certain extent. Maybe the Fed changes the story to a certain extent. But I just think that, you know, you're just in the strong historically time for the market here. It's very difficult to be short. I'm short zero stocks right now. Um, another one that we, we haven't mentioned yet that's hitting all-time highs is Ross. Ross Dress for Less. This is kind of your more budget uh, yes. your budget one, uh, or here, let me get you the, uh, uh ticker is RST. I haven't heard that term before. It, Ross, <laughs> dress for less. It's, it like, it, it, it's like a, a TJ Maxx or JC. Yeah. You can go and buy stuff. That's like, you know, a little bit cheaper. Um, so it's kind of the more, I would say like budget version of Macy's of, of one of these stores, but it's been doing really well. And I wonder, you know, does, does this do less? Well, does, does Ross do not as well if the economy's better and people have more money and can spend it at Nordstrom's and Macy's instead of Ross. Is Ross more of a play that you want in uh, in a recessionary environment? I'm not sure, but uh, again, this one's making uh, at or near all-time highs, so I figured it'd be there, worth it. There's least. groups of stocks here, Aaron, and these are your discount retailers that, you know, the TJX, Burlington, and Ross stores, ROST, all kind of fall into that same category here where you're getting... 
the brand prices at the brand names at discount prices and people do shop there and they've always been busy i mean tjx seems to have just avoided every recession i feel like forever just a fantastically run company there burlington was really beat up but is bouncing back here since its last earnings report it's got the gap and go happening here burl we're talking open that day at 159 oh. and really hasn't looked back like it was a report that you know um was a good report really good report and investors are like maybe they were you know beating up burlington too much but i've always kind of classified ross burlington tjx together and coles nordstrom and macy's together and obviously these are the department brands and these are the discount stores and that's i have i have a confession I... I have a small confession to make yep i did a little shopping this weekend what'd you buy you see this shirt what Ooh. do you think of this shirt Wait, let me go. Let me go full screen on you, Joel, so people can see the shirt. I mean, yeah, yeah, pretty nice. What do you think? What do you think? How okay, much? I'd pay about fifty bucks for that. Okay, looks like I got I got four of them. I got not all the same ones because the other ones, I you know, you guys can't see it when when they get raggy around the collar, you know. <laughs> and Lisa's know. like, "Are you gonna wear that on the show today?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And so I got I got four of these. Okay, different colors. How much? How much you think I paid? Well, we just cast 49 bucks, but you got four, so you must got a discount. 29 bucks a piece. Close. 100 bucks. Joseph, a, bucks. Joseph A. Bank. You got it, baby. Joseph, Joseph A. Bank. Bank. I know, yeah. I know a deal. I know a deal when I see Who one. Owns oh, Joseph, Who owns Joseph A. Banks now? Well, remember that. the Joseph Men's Warehouse, Joseph A. Banks Men's Warehouse. I, I I don't know, but I was like, and the guy was so nice to me in there oh, and wow. helped me out. I'm They've like They've got a new customer for life now. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it, it, it wash and wear. I don't even have to go to the cleaners or anything. Just throw it in there. But they're not around anymore. It was Joe J O S B, right? And then and then Men's Warehouse bought them, and that's tailored brands now. So, oh, you know, what's the symbol on that? Um. Oh gosh. T real quick. I Real quick know. before uh, we move brands. on from clothes, Joel, I was I was wearing a new shirt that TLRD, I got the other day. TLRD, guessing? No, no. no wait. Go ahead. Is it? Did it get taken over too? Are there I think so too. Over? It's two owns tailored brands. We got to keep going down this slippery slope. Who owns tailored brands? Who think, owns uh, tailored? Well, I, I was wearing a new shirt the other day, and I got uh, I was I was getting compliments on it. My friend asked me, "Hey, where'd you get that shirt? Guess guess where I got it from?" It's private. <laughs> Josie A. Banks. No, uh, Meyer. Meyer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, gets Bank. good deals at Meyer. Meyer's always been a private company, or I would own that stock years ago. Uh, Taylor Brands is gone private here now, so it is okay, a private yeah. company here now. I guess we need a raise. Trade. That's huh? why I was like, I guess TLRD, because I don't. It just popped in my head, and it used to trade, but it's gone now. I don't know when it went private, but it's gone. So, so I guess we can't participate in Joel's shopping adventures. <laughs> All right. Well, we we we've turned into like a fashion channel here. Talk about clothes all morning. Should we? Uh, yeah. Move on. I, I I think. Uh, well, let me know if you guys want to go anywhere else. But I think the other big news, at least over the weekend, um, was this uh, uh, Humana and Cigna merger yeah. falling through. Uh, and and yeah. what Joel? How are the stocks reacting this morning? Oh, that I mean, they're up big, and uh, yeah. this this is weird, isn't it, Dennis? The way these stocks yeah. have been trading. Yeah, well, usually you see merger rumors and you like synergies and you see stocks lift on merger rumors. These stocks both got hammered on the rumors, so nobody wanted it. Kramer was saying this is the worst possible deal, you know, and then he just looks at price. Stock goes down. He says it's bad. Stock goes up. He says it's good. Simple analysis. 
but human Humana obviously got hit pretty good. CI really got hit as well on the news that these two might potentially go together. You can see this was probably back on, I guess, in the November 29th, right around there, right before I left. And you know, now that the deal is getting called off, it's getting all those losses back. CI actually trading above where it was prior to you know the rumors of these mergers happening. Humana not quite getting back to up there, but CI 293, 294. Again, this feels like an overshoot too, though. Like you want to wrap 35 bucks because you're not going to do a merger here. Uh, I I think it's a selling opportunity as well. A lot of people gotten smoked on this one. I'll just have to agree with you. And uh, just over 295 is your pre-market high. This is in CI Cigna. And uh, you do have a couple daily highs in this area at 294 and a half, or really up to 296. And then Humana, boom, that this stock trading up. This is a little bit uh, lesser reaction, 495 for that. And uh, three day high from last week is uh, 498 if you're looking for more. But some people got caught um, in this, uh, you know, over this. Uh, the, you know, the deal or no deal now looks like to be an opportunity at least to sell into um, a little bit of strength. Yeah. And I was curious when the, when the merger news came out and the stocks were trading lower, I was wondering if there was some speculation that there may be some, you know, antitrust, antitrust. issues, stuff like that, because there's oh, two just, for sure. they're just two massive, massive yes. healthcare companies that I think a lot of investors might've been like, Oh, this deal, I don't want to touch this because it sounds like it could get messy. And now that you're seeing that, that, that the deal's not happening, people are like, okay, now that that's behind us. Um, but I always, I mean, the market I think can be somewhat inefficient in these kind of knee jerk reactions. One, one example that comes to mind, if you guys remember last year when Microsoft or uh, not when Microsoft, when Adobe announced to buy Figma, the stock got crushed because people thought they were overpaying for, uh, for Figma in this, you know, bad environment or whatever stock trades down like 10% Adobe stock on the, on the news. And then when that. the, when the, when the deal is announced that uh, there was some antitrust stuff, when the deal is announced that it goes through, the stock was trading up a bunch. And I was like, wait a second, you guys hated it when the deal was announced and the stock was trading down. And now that it's going through, the stock's trading up a bunch. So it's like, welcome I to the bull market, Aaron, yeah. where they just love everything. <laughs> exactly. So they it's, buy uh, the bad news and they buy the good news. They just buy. Yeah. So a, a lot of times on these, on these knee jerk reactions after the acquisition news, I like to kind of let that, let it settle because I think it, it takes investors time to realize, okay, what this deal is going to mean. Or in this case, what this non-deal, what this deal being next is going to mean for these companies. And I think you just go back to where we were at a month ago. I mean, before this deal was announced. So if you liked Cigna before, if you liked Humana before, then no reason not to like it now. I mean, if you think there's antitrust with iRobot and Amazon, Humana <laughs> and CI is the antitrust of all antitrust. I mean, or buying healthcare and all of a sudden you're going to put two of the majors together yeah. here. Let's just get basically, you, in- you know, they're, they're going to think that's screwing everyone. Let's so, just get U and H in there too and get it over with. Just get yeah. all three. Of well, them yeah. Together. Let's just do. We'll just have. Okay, one U and H. Uh, one of the want for healthcare. Wow! Look <laughs> at this. Look at this. This this thing is uh, just a beast. But man, you got a you got a, like a five topper here at uh, the five fifty two area. Traded down seventy four cents. Before we move on, I want to address a very important question here from PJ uh, Shannon. And he's talking about a huge gap in the NASDAQ. And, you know, I'll just show you from the S&Ps here. The reason you're seeing the discrepancy in the price this morning is because they rolled the contracts over. 
right? We're coming up on a quad witch. We'll talk yeah. about this uh, more in the week. So the ESZ23, which expiring on Friday, went out at 460750, uh, right? Now we are trading the, the new front month contract with the liquidity is the March. That's 50 handles above that. That's like, you know, we haven't seen that in a long time. You can apply a couple things here. The calculations for the uh, uh, the time value money is one thing. That, that's and the big one. Yep. And you can also look at it as bullish. You know, people are looking, you know, for higher prices. So there's no gaps. Take a look at your, your December contracts. Take a look at your March contracts. Last quad witch of the year. I just thought that uh, that was a very important uh, question to address. So, PJ, thanks for This is why I follow the SPY, because that all are always adjusts. Oh, here we go. It's the four-year where the dividend is. But it is the time value of money here, Easy Mike. You're absolutely correct, because you got to look at the dividend yield. Because if you own the physical stocks, you're getting that 1.42% dividend. In the S&P, you don't. Uh, get the 1.42% dividend. But the difference is you got to tie up all that money to own all those stocks and you don't have to do it here. So that's why S&P futures pop up so much. You got that time value of money, which is sitting up at 5.5% against a dividend of 1.42. When the time value of money is 1.42 and the dividend is 1.42, there's not much difference between the futures and the cash. But there's a huge difference now because interest rates are higher. So that is 100% the reason why I see the big gap up in the futures. It's not that there was great news last night. It's simply adjusting for the time value of money three months out. Um, well, just quick rundown. In about a few minutes, Tim Quas will be joining us. Market Structure Monday, of course. Awesome. We'll be we talking Tim. about a uh, great day to get uh, Tim on. Of course, Joel, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the last quad witching of the year. Um, People other... are asking about Oxy here too, Aaron, because Oxy, it's like, it feels like it's Merger Monday. <laughs> it does, Merger Monday. Because you got the non-merger of CI Humana. You got the potential, you know, like getting bought out of Macy's. And then you have Oxy, which is actually doing a merger. They are buying a company here. Give us the details here on OXY. Uh, so Oxy is acquiring a, a company called Crown uh, Rock for $12 billion. A, uh, a, a Permian producer Crown Rock is... Uh, again, $12 billion. It is the latest deal in a spat of consolidation in the U.S. energy sector. Um, it's So Crown Rock is developing a 100,000-acre uh, position in the Midland Basin uh, in western Texas. So, I mean, it, it seems like Oxy is just trying to get some more of that vertical integration, buying some of this land, buying some of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, this, this land that can start extracting oil from itself. Uh, instead of having to to get it from other places, the transaction will add 170,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day to Occidental's production, cool. as well as 1,700 undeveloped locations to the company's operations in the Permian. So, uh, yeah, like you guys said, merger Monday. I mean, I t- to me, like just seeing these mergers, it, it seems bullish because it seems like these companies are like hey we're in a good position now we feel okay about the economy enough to make these acquisitions now i think if they were hesitant to you know if if there was a lot of fear about uh you know a huge recession that's going to crush the demand of oil in the next year then i don't know that i don't know if they're doing this this deal so uh to me again like seeing this it's it's uh i i would perceive it as at least somewhat bullish uh, I don't know if you guys see it different. I think I have to take the opposite end of the coin on that one. Okay. I and like it. Uh, the, the reason is, is, man, they're just like 
they know there's going to be less demand, man. We just got to cut costs. Synergies. We got to, yeah, we got it. We got to cut headcount. And with your mergers, boom, we don't need two accountants. Boom, we don't need, you know, two controllers. Boom. So I look at it now, the price action. I, I, you know, I know CVS and is did its deal. ExxonMobil has done its deal. But Dennis, where is Warren? Where is Warren in this area? Several times. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know you're out. I, last I was week. away. Did he come in last week? No. Did he do anything? Nothing. No. He's, he's maybe. Maybe he's full. Maybe he's like, I've just got too dang much, and he's full. You know, he can go up to fifty percent. I don't know where he's sitting. He was at twenty nine percent at one time. And obviously, he's never sold a share, just continues to buy. And we've talked about this 56 as the Warren buy area this here. Is it. I traded it here multiple times successfully here. I almost feel like I've got to do it again just because it's worked for me for <laughs> so many times. I want to see how this shakes out today. You know, do they? Because it, it, the, the, the concerning thing here is the action in Chevron after the merger, is the action in ExxonMobil after their merger. And the stocks have pretty much just continued to leak. So here's Oxy doing a big deal. Not a huge deal like the Hess deal or the PXD deal, right, but a sizable true. deal. A sizable deal. And Oxy's not quite as big, too. So relatively speaking, it's a big deal for Oxy here. Do shareholders punish it for this as well? Does Warren step up and say, no, I want to own this and give it a vote of confidence? Lots to digest here. I think I'm going to sit back and just watch it for a day and see, you know, at least for today. I still, It's on my buy list. This is the buy zone. But I want to see what happens here before striking. So I have no position in Oxy here yet, but it's on my shopping list. Here's a, here's an updated Buffett portfolio. As you guys can see or here, I'll highlight this because it's sure. pretty small. Um, but Occidental uh, Buffett still owns more than 25%. Uh, wow. It makes up it makes up 3.5% of Berkshire's portfolio right now, which makes it its third biggest holding behind only Apple uh, and Coke. Actually, sorry, American excuse Express. me, fourth. Between uh, Apple, Chevron, and Coca-Cola. 49%. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Oh, that uh, is yeah. 40, 49% of uh, Apple. Apple is, is Berkshire. And yeah, remember I know. that a lot of, and one thing to consider is a lot of Berkshire businesses are private. So you're seeing the public portfolio and Correct. not. And, and not like Gary Queen, Geico, all, all these yeah. other, all these so private companies. Portfolio is bigger than this. So we can't just take it at face value and say half of his money is in Apple because he's got all these private businesses that we don't know the value of those because they're private. So you can guesstimate it though. And people have tried to guesstimate it before. And they said, um, you know, multiple people have kind of said the public portfolio is about worth the same as the private portfolio so if you consider that then you're going to knock all these value all these uh, percent of portfolios in half so apple would be about 25 percent of the overall berkshire not 49 percent. so we do have to consider that but apple's just huge in there yeah but i mean I it continues to grow and he hasn't sold any shares when burke when when burke starts selling shares of apple that's what i was going to say that's going to hit the stock if you ever see an sec filing where he sells some shares yep. of apple the stock is going to get hit hard on that. But he has never sold any. Apple is right near all-time highs. Like, we should talk about this from last week. Bring on Tim yeah. maybe for this, too. But, I mean, we are in striking distance of all-time highs. Let's bring Tim on here because this is always interesting. Do we have Tim? We, Tim oh, we don't have Tim yet. I'm going to hit him up right oh. now and make sure oh, he's okay. – uh, he, he's... Yeah, Dennis, I'm, uh, I'm five bucks from pay dirt on a on – a, And I was a... – I know I was only – I was only five bucks from pay dirt, too, until a class. You have seasonality in your favor. You have everybody wanting to own Apple. It sounds like – what was the bet? What do we bet? Uh, when it was 180 – I, uh, no, it was a steak dinner. And, and you owe me about three steak dinners. So I don't know. Yeah, I know. I took 180. 
it was like right in this area, and yeah. then it tanked. And yeah. then I started and it went bidding down to 165, it. and I was five bucks away from Pater. And then this ridiculous, you know, a strong rally has happened in November and December. And now it looks like you're going to get paid. Don't bet against this market, folks. I'm going to lose a <laughs> steak dinner. I, I can't believe I can't believe that because I, I, at the time I took it, I'm like, because I always take the bearish end of the bets, and you always take the bullish end of the bets on this one. Uh, but Apple was just real strong last week. There was one news item. And I'm not sure. I think it was on this day here. And it was just about, Dennis, you would have laughed at it. It was about, um, oh, the universal phone charger situation in India. That they were like, on, on, you know, so like, okay, there's another whole market. They're just going to, everyone in India is going to buy iPhones. And I believe that was on, uh, that was on Tuesday. And then it kind of waffled uh, on Wednesday. But then it was strong on Thursday and Friday. All time high for Apple. I would need a. Uh, I would need an all time high to get taken out. Could happen on that uh, expiration Friday. You know when things get real crazy. But uh, on the dailies, where is it? It looks like one ninety eight twenty three is the all time high, and the all time closing high was not made on that day. It was made on a different day. One ninety six forty five. So if you're looking for the highest mark on your portfolio ever in the history of Apple comes in at 196.45 and that of course puts apple over the three trillion dollar mark which is just an insane i mean valuation for it well which also by the way microsoft is approaching that three trillion dollar mark as well but we do have tim in the background now uh so i think without further ado should we should we bring on tim what do you say guys yeah sure, sure. sounds good all right let's do it Tim, good morning. Welcome to AB. I haven't seen you in forever. Nice I know to they've see you behind the mic. They've been keeping me hidden away in a back <laughs> closet, but Dennis and Joel, you know, dragged me out and, said, and, they, and they got me on on air today. So thank you to Dennis and Joel for that. Good to see you, Tim. I thought you'd just become an executive management muckety muck. Something like uh, that. They keep. Yeah. I'm upstairs now in board meetings, and I'm usually wearing a suit. But I, I yeah, get to dress down you. for the show Thank because I wear t-shirts. For, and yeah. They didn't want to like really outdress yeah. me there, so <laughs> it's a Benzinga t-shirt I'm wearing. So that's okay. <laughs> Tim, All right, how are you, buddy? Happy Monday. <clears throat> how are you? Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, doing all right. I had a. If it looks like I'm peering down at you, I had to. I had to swap to my Microsoft Surface because I couldn't connect to the show oh. uh, with my laptop, which uh, apparently has been 86 from pre-market prep. Uh, but this worked. This is the fallback plan. How are you it's guys? Good to have a How are you doing? Welcome back from Disneyland. Yeah, uh, I know. How, I was down there. Did and you it lose was, a child down there? No? Everybody made it out? Okay. you got. We, we did. I had a little bit of a headache. I rode that. Uh, <laughs> we went to Animal Kingdom, and I rode that Everest <laughs> ride with the Sasquatch ripping up the track and stuff. And, man, I had a three-day headache after that ride. It's dropping you backwards and then dropping you in the dark. And I was like, I had definitely had buyer's remorse riding that ride. I'm getting a little bit old. But it was just me and the two kids. And my boy, Spencer, really wanted to ride it. The girl was kind of petrified, but she did meet the minimum height requirements. So I said, you just bury your head. She buried her head the whole ride. I should have buried my head, apparently, too, because my head has hurt for three days from that ride. I'm not made for roller coasters anymore. Yeah, that is us on Space Mountain. So that was on Space Mountain. You can see I'm very much enjoying myself. The little girl's like in awe. I'm like, please let this end soon. Please let this end soon. And the boy was very interested too. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much the story of me on these rides. 
I, I, I was riding it just because so the kids could go. <laughs> Toughing it out. I believe that's your bear market face. <laughs> I'm going to have that going in January yeah. here. But, Tim, let's talk about the lack of a bear market here. I mean, yeah. this market is I, off and running. Is it seasonality? <laughs> is it just the fact that, you know, everybody's just got the, you know, the bull hat on and the bears have been yeah. to hibernation here? And what do you see for the next week? And then also I want to look at your further outlook into yep. January here. What does market structure say about the next week, though? Uh, so... I'll show you what the, the math indicates, but, but my, here's my general assessment, Dennis. And it, you know, I think uh, about what the money is doing. I always say that if you want to understand the stock market, you have to understand how it works. You have to have some base baseline in market structure because that's how prices are set. And number two, what the money is doing, which is, which is a point of, of, of continuous frustration for me with big public companies because they, they don't seem to understand what the money's actually doing. Here's what it's actually doing. We've talked about this before. So, uh, you know, those who, who hear me, apologies for the repetition. It is partly due to my deteriorating mental faculties uh, because I'm getting old, but it's also purposeful. So you have to realize that 70% of assets at the lar seven largest money managers in the United States run on models. It's not that the market is a continuous uh, a reflection of people's views of fundamentals. Big models determine what the exposure to equities is going to be, and they make changes. And then, then you juxtapose that with market structure where there is no liquidity. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I, you know, I've traded LUV uh, on, on Friday. I bought it, dumped it, bought something else. I bought CCL and I bought SPXL when the market pulled back to, to level because the, the bias in the market is clearly long. So I, I knew that would be a profitable trade. And my trade for LUV, I own 900 shares of it. And when I sold it, it split into 15 different trades for as small as six shares. So wow. if I can barely get in, into and out of a stock, imagine what BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street are going to encounter. So if the models come to the end of October and say, well, the market's down 10%, I think we should increase our exposure to U.S. equities by 5% because we, you know, we look at the global macro models, we feel pretty good about it. You do that one thing, that one thing, and it can drive the market up 10% and then people misconstrue that as, okay, we're off to the races again and it's a bull market and everything's awesome. Well, it takes that long. And the irony and I'll finish with this, is that we are going to rebalance, and Joel, you touched on this, uh, uh, mm. the, the S&P rebalances reflecting the reconstitution in early December will occur between this week and next week. It's technically uh, the, the, you know, around the 18th of the month, but uh, it, Thursday, options start expiring, and they extend into next Wednesday, the 20th. So in between there, the models now are all overweight, out of whack. Things have moved like pistons all over the place. And everybody's going to try to square the books. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. We can talk about that. But to me, Dennis, what the market tells us is about what the money is doing and about the paucity of liquidity in the market and really little else. And you have to be careful. And I'll show you how to know, traders, when you should be careful. 
You got that, yeah, screen sharing on the surface. That's fine. The thing about the surface, oh, they're so small. Don't your shoulders get tired typing on that thing? <laughs> I, well, I'm not a, I'm not a broad-shouldered Hulk like you are, Joel. Yeah, that's you know, true. Like guns Joel swims. Joel does. Joel does butterfly wow. every morning. Joel's doing that's butterfly, getting those traps going. <laughs> that's what it is. So, so you know, with my nominal nominal shoulders, I can get in front of it okay. But uh, yeah. The so so if you want now, Dennis, you, you were about to weigh in on that because you you know yeah. you're a market structure guy. You know this stuff. Uh, you know at least better probably better than I do. I don't uh, know about that. <laughs> the, the, so here I'm going to go to this because here's how to know traders. If you want to know uh, when the turn will come, this is the way to see it. So as long as I'm looking at the, just this 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 is a portfolio. And it's got five stocks in it for today. And this is the slamming into the ceiling demand. Demand at 10. And the supply side has been trending down. If that condition continues, the market rises. It is as simple as economics. When there are supply-demand balances, prices rise. And it's true in anything, including the stock market. When those conditions are about to change, you will see one side or the other begin to deteriorate. Sometimes it's the demand side. Sometimes it's the supply side. Well, look at this. Look what supply is doing in this portfolio. As we start to move toward options expirations, the supply side is starting to increase. If there's any faltering in demand, the market will decline. This is why, you know, Joel, you and I talked about this. I said there was a 67% mathematically uh, likelihood that the market is lower at the end of the year than it is last Monday. Now we'll see. I'm, you know, people who make those kind of pronouncements generally are rendered fools, and uh, they being and so I have a, there's a high probability I'm rendered a fool, but it's mathematical. I, I kept four of the same stocks in here just to show folks. You know, the stocks that you and I talked about last week, Joel, were uh, were block, uh, square. Yeah, and, I saw know, the yeah, around there. I loved it because look at the demand and look at the supply. So the, as long as supply continues to trend down and demand raise, remains strong, this is price. What will price do? It will move up. But what is happening now? If you want to know when to leave something, people, if you need an exit signal, there's your exit signal. It's not that it's extreme. It's only 45%. Supply is 45%. It's almost Sticking higher, though. But it's, it's jumped from 32 to 45 in four trading days. That's a big move. And it tells us that the machines, the citadels, the virtues, the, the, the GTSs, the tower researchers, all the firms that assess all the tick data are going, hmm, I think we're going to start to shift short. They know, and that gives us the ability to see. And this, the same condition is true with the other four. There's, I've got Snap in here as a good choice. But if I look at um, Natera, same, same drill. This was a good stock to trade. But look what's happening to the supply-demand balance. Same thing. 10, supply plunged. That was a great opportunity to trade in the Terra. But now supply is trending up and heading back toward, you know, still low. But all those are signals that are predictive and tell us that things are beginning to change. And, and day over day in the S&P 500, on Friday, for the first time in a long time, supply ticked up. Now, again, I'm not, that's not a trend. A day is not a trend. Two days yeah. is not a pattern, 
But it, but that now, now that's got my attention because I think that there is a probability based on those. I already knew it mathematically that when we get to options expirations, the a the market's poorly hedged right now, and I can show, I can prove it to you. And b the the uh, big institutional money pegged to models is out of whack with those models, and they're going to have to do some adjusting, and that can destabilize the market. Again, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying when the, there is risk, the prudent foresee evil and hide themselves. I like to step around those events so I don't give up my gains. I've had a good, I'm sure you guys have too. It's, the whole market has been awesome, uh, but you don't want to give it all back. I mean, market timing is that in mm -hmm. itself. It's like if you can avoid those downturns yep. when everybody else can hit the downturns, you'll outperform just because of that. So just being on the sidelines in times of distress you know, will make you outperform the market there too. So we always think yep. about, you know, I have to make these trades to make more money than the next guy. Sometimes it's got to avoid the losses to make more money than the next guy. Exactly right. The people who win are the ones who don't see the declines that everybody else does. It's very difficult to outperform the market mathematically. Very it's very, very difficult. And you say, well, why is that? Well, because the entire market is uniform and driven by models and priced by machines that consume all of the available data and take very modest risks. I always say, you've got to look at the, what's the daily volatility in the S&P 500 stocks? Call it 2%. What's the, what's the daily volatility in SPY that tracks it? 1%. The arbitrage opportunity for Citadel to make $15 billion is between 1% and 2%. <laughs> They'll change the prices over and over and take little tiny pieces and break trades into pieces just like I described. So we have to know that. That's why we pay attention to volatility. I want to know how much does a firm move on average every, every day over a five-day rolling average? Because that's how, that's how Citadel is going to move the price. Well, 7.6%. What if I took half that? Because I'll get half of it. I can get half of it because I can't beat Citadel. They have better information, better systems, they're faster, right? But I can take half that. If I know the supply-demand balance and Citadel's willing to fill my trades and give me that, all right. Well, you just have to work within the constraints that the market will give you. If you're out thinking that the market's 1995 and, you know, how, what's the multiple on this stock and what's the forward outlook and is it a great business? Those are good considerations, but they're not how the market works today. I would did it work, but it's not true. If you want to evaluate businesses that way on the three bases of valuation, which are you know multiples of earnings, some of the parts, and, and relative value, the only thing left in the stock market is relative value. Those other things are private equity. Okay. So uh, we talked to you a while ago, and there was uh, no stocks in your momentum filter, momentum opportunities, yeah. and that turned out to be... A good buy signal. Is there what's in there? What's in there There's now? A lot of stocks in here right now. We, we hit. We 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 were up to about a dozen last okay. Monday. We hit twenty six on Thursday. I want to say now it's back down to fifteen. By the way, momentum is not correlated to the market. This portfolio is not correlated to the market. We don't rely on that statistically as an indication of what the market will do. We rely on it on it as a signal of an opportunity to make money in one to five days. That's really it. If the market is much more correlated to low volatility, even that's not awesome. It is most correlated to supply demand divergence, 75% correlated to set to supply demand divergences. 
So if there's a divergence, the market rises. If there's a convergence, the market falls. There's, that's a 75% probability. This is about 30% correlated. This is not correlated, but it peaked and it's beginning to decline. That is a signal that the opportunities to make money trading volatility are starting to fade. And so that we get a, you know, we get a predictive signal so we're not caught out. I, I, I always say options expirations. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's wrap things up. Want to know yeah. about options expirating starting Thursday, quad witch on Friday. You yeah. said going all the way out to Wednesday. Right. I mean, it's setting up. I mean, it's setting up strong. What What are you seeing uh, regarding or what should traders and investors be aware of for the yeah. upcoming final quad witch expiration of 2023? It's the last one. Well, it's important to know that close to 20% of market cap rests on derivatives. That is, they're substitutes, they're hedges, uh, and, and they get, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to be rolled, maybe. People are going to increase exposure, going to decrease exposure. Those three things play out through the series that is lapsing and the new series that is resetting Monday. And it's, look, I know there are zero days, there are weeklies, those are huge, but they aren't used for hedging. They're unreliable as hedges. The reliable hedge is the monthlies because there's an actual asset movement associated with it underneath, call it 20%. Uh, and so if everything's smooth and normal, you don't see it because everybody just rolls their positions and, and it all works out. This is broad sentiment heading into uh, uh, expirations. It has been, it's been above the red line for a really long extended period of time. Now, when those long periods above the red line conclude, tends to be rough. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying that mathematically it's possible. And the supply side that had bottomed here, shot up, come back down, could reverse. Uh, so I look at options expirations as a risk. And it's Thursday. Thursday is, is index options and futures expirations, AM dated. Friday, then those settle Saturday. Monday, a new series trades. Tuesday, the banks square the books on the outgoing and incoming ones. Did they get the balance right? Are they too, did they have too much supply or too little? Wednesday are VIX or volatility as an asset class expirations. Then we're finally out of that period. In the middle of that is a 20-year U.S. Treasury auction. Now, I mention it because to me, the single biggest risk to the market now are weak, long-dated Treasury auctions. We had one last week, whoa, rippled through the currency markets, rippled through hedging, the yen moved sharply. Those are the things that really affect the way that global macro models work. So that's, I'm concerned. We got, you know, the, the, the government has, has auctioned $21 trillion of paper, that is notes, bills, and bonds so far. And it's, it will be an all-time record. We're going to do more paper this year than we did in the pandemic when we were trying to paper over our fear with money. So wow. I can I get concerned about these long dated okay. treasuries. I got you. Uh, yep. Yeah. All right. Tim All Quads, right. CEO, Market Structure, Edge, joining us on Pre Market Prep. Thanks, Tim. We'll talk to you again soon. Good to see you guys. Have a great week. Thank you, Tim. Tim, always good to see you. All righty, y'all. That was Tim Quas, Market Structure, Edge. Link yeah. is in the description if you guys want to check out more from Tim. All right, Joel, should we run through some uh, some ratings before the last few minutes before we wrap up? Sounds good. 
lots of big ones here and the one that probably stood out for me the most here was spotify because it's a smaller company one but it's um rosenblatt who moves stocks you know you don't hear much about rosenblatt but they move stocks. no you don't and they're they're going to a pt of 300 on spotify that's why it really that's why it really stands out to me it's putting a buy and going to a pt of 300 stock is at 200 here right now it is trading up two dollars and 95 cents but this stock has got you know people caught here it's gap and go it's kind of been consolidating here and i do think the setup here is one that i probably would chase this morning here i don't like chasing but as a day trader here it's up 1.5 percent if the market holds on as long as you know the market holds on here today it would not surprise me that this makes a new high on the move we got 202.88 is the high there you go days ago Yep. I think it takes that out here today. It's a 201 right now. I do think that there's the potential for this thing to have like a $10 move off, something like this. So it it, it catches an eye, especially if it gets some major media coverage here. I mean, we're covering it here right now, but I think the Spotify could move on this today. Uh, it, you gave the number. You took it. You stole it from me. That was last week's high, 202.88. Uh, let's see what the closing high for the week Uh Closing high for the week was 199.32. Uh, you'll just have to drill down on your monthlies. The next monthly high, if you're going just off monthlies, back in February 2022, 208.49 would be your next monthly target. This, I have always, no, no position on this one yet, but I'm looking at it. It's always interesting, something like Spotify, because when, when companies collectively start laying people off, right? It's a big bearish sign. People get scared. Uh-oh, unemployment's raising, recession. But when a particular company lays off people, it's a bullish sign. Because Spotify announced it's laying off more than 1,500 people, and then the, the market rallies, uh, or the stock rallies, excuse me. Uh, another stock, not a rating, but a, an analyst note that came out from JP Morgan last Monday on Starbucks about sales concerns. Starbucks' stock is down about 15% uh, in the last month. Um, now, there's this a, a lot of things going on. There's some concerns about what's going on in China. I guess Luck and Coffee is, I didn't know Luck and Coffee was still a thing. I thought that was a fake company, but apparently it's still taking market share from uh, Starbucks. There are also calls for boycotts against Starbucks uh, on TikTok and other social media platforms. So uh, the, the JP analyst note on Monday said that um, that they expect, or they, they saw material, the company saw material decline in sales for the month of November compared to the November the year before, which is typically one of Starbucks's biggest months. You know, they got all the holiday drinks and the pumpkin spice lattes. So uh, to me, look, these boycotts and stuff will subside. Starbucks will probably still be selling coffee in 10 years. So you might see it as a long-term buying opportunity. But based on this note from uh, the JP Morgan analyst last Monday, this quarter, the Q4 for this year may not be great for Starbucks. So if you're if you're holding this stock, just keep that in mind that that the company's next report might not be amazing. I think technically it bounced where it should. Like if you look, I know we had the gap. We were trying to fill that whole gap, but really if you look on your on your right daily here. chart there, 95 kind of stands out like a sore thumb. We come straight down. So we kind of bounced where we should, and that's the good news. Um so I'd say as long as 95 holds, you could try it. Um, I wouldn't want to own it below the low there, 94.84, which is low from just December the 5th. Uh, with this kind of move, you always like to see like a meaningful retracement. I mean, because this is a big move from 107.66. 
uh, down to 94.85, caught 95. I mean, that that's a big move. So just look at your daily highs. I mean, uh, I, I always talk about the 50, uh, but before that, what is it, 0.386? And I don't even think you're close to that. So you get these bounces, and then you got to see how much of a retracement. You're right, Dennis. I mean, I would have been looking for the gap fill. Wow, that's already down to 91.86 for Starbucks. Lucky Lucky Coffee still around. LKNCY, I believe. Too many letters in there to even worry about. Uh, if they're going to five letters, I don't look at them ever. I agree with that, Dennis. If it's above, if it's more than four letters for the more ticker, than four ticker, four letters in the ticker symbol, I completely ignore it. It's a great rule to have. Yeah. Uh, before we, or sorry, Dennis or uh, Joel, did you have something you want to go on 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 Bros real quick? Uh, I mean, there's good support at 27 here, but it, it's a ways away from that. So as long as it holds this 26, uh, 75, 27 level, uh, good support in bros. But I mean, if, you know, if people are going to you know, spend a little bit more on Christmas presents and a little bit higher inflation, they might be skipping that five, $6 latte, uh, or whatever. Um, at I think Starbucks. they're going to skip it in the new year. I think I think everything's going to change a lot in January, well, the, but I do think trend is your friend here for the next three weeks. Oracle going to report tonight. Adobe going to report to Wednesday. I'm just looking at the earnings calendar here, Aaron. Um, Lenar, you got a home builder on Thursday. Costco also on Thursday. DRI, which started in restaurants, always an interesting report. Also, Jable Circuit on Thursday. So it's a, it's a it's a quiet week. Oracle will highlight the earnings here tonight, though. ORCL. Quick thoughts here, technically, Joel, on Oracle going into tonight's report. Oh, Oracle just, they, they always seem to rally back after their reports, right? You know, I think it got hit off its last report. Continue to get hit. I just be the, my area of focus here is going to be the 117 and a half area, uh, not only in today's session, but that's a big area uh, for resistance. And then you got all the way. Uh, gap fill from that earnings day. That's a 124.72. Uh, just for the overall market here, we're just waffling. Uh, not a big range overnight. Uh, just be aware that your pre-market high is two ticks away from that high on Friday. That's your big level. And so far, we've had a hard time going green here on the March contract. In order to go green on the March contract, high close for the move with us. 60 in a quarter and uh for tuesday it's gonna be uh it's gonna be t t3 tuesday and uh we'll have a guest uh from uh from t3 over here uh, guiding us uh, someone from their virtual trading floor actually we haven't had him on before jr romero who will be joining us so dennis great to have you back aaron great job today and uh That'll be it. So everyone have a good trading session. Back with you tomorrow morning. I have I have one final thing before we wrap up and go over to live trade. And I don't know if yep. you guys saw this. Might be the biggest news of the morning outside of outside of what we've already talked about. CNBC. Have you guys seen it today? The oh, they changed. Yeah, yeah, they changed it. I up. turned it on, and I'm like, oh, is this the right channel? I, when was the last time? I mean, CNBC's like little bottom ticker to me, at least in my head, has been the same for like my entire conscious yeah, life since I was right. twelve years old. Like I have not, I'm not a big fan of it, but it might be just I one of those hate things. This change, it, I, I, I despise change. I'm a creature of habit. I just do not like change. We know. I that. don't really look at the CNBC ticker anyways because it lags. But just looking up at the screen, it right. annoys me in the bottom part of it. Like, yeah, I'm not a fan of this whatsoever. I love the it's old like ticker, man. 
It's yellow. The, the 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 symbols are yellow. I can't even read that. So the font's different. Oh my god! They might go back. Like, they might they might get so many complaints. This change. Uh, if Short you guys have CNBC. If you guys haven't seen what we're talking about, is CNBC's graphics where they usually have the stock prices and the tickers on the bottom screen. They just when it came out today, I think with a, a slightly different look, and I've been seeing a lot of people talking about it. I came in the office today and I was like, "What the hell's on the TV?" And then I was, "Oh, it's CNBC." That's I know. It. I didn't know they're on the right channel. I double checked the channel. That's what yeah. it's called a, a Chiron or Chiron. I don't know how it's pronounced. But all right, guys. Uh, <laughs> thank you again, Dennis and Joel. I'll be back on tomorrow. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, appreciate everyone who tuned in. Stay on. We're going to uh, redirect you to live trading uh, with uh, Ryan Faluna and Zunaid. I might hop in there a little bit too. Joel, thanks again, man. Oh, Dennis, thanks again, man. All right, guys. Peace and love. We'll be back tomorrow.